0: This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Before we begin our vacation summer trip, let us bow our heads for prayer. Our dear Father in heaven, today we thank you not only for your mighty deeds that you accomplished for us, throughout history but that you also revealed in the bible the places where those events took place bless us as we again this day travel in mind and memory to a place where you expressed power and love to win for us sinners the victory over sin and guilt holy spirit be our guide As we visit this most special place in salvation history. Amen. Our vacation destination is the same place that is mentioned in the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 23, at verse 33. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. This place called the Skull is the place that most of us know by a number of names drawn from different languages. In the Hebrew language, the name is Golgotha, In Aramaic, which is mentioned in the New Testament scriptures, the name is Golgotha. In the Greek language, which is written in this text in Luke chapter 23, the name is Cranion. And of course, from that we get the English cranium, the skull. They're synonyms. In Latin, the name is Calvaria. Or Mount Calvary. Again, the meaning is always, in every one of these words, skull. And that is the destination of our vacation this morning. You know that Pastor Bill and Pastor Ben, the last several weeks, have turned all of these vacation destinations into informational or educational trips. (laughs) And yeah, every parent knows that there's a risk involved when you try to do that with a family. Years ago, my wife and I, when our children were much, much younger, we announced to them that on this vacation we're going to go to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. We are going to take a look at the site of the famous Civil War battle. We are going to see the place where President Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address and the children, (laughs) they finally agreed to quietly accompany us if the next day we went to Hershey, Pennsylvania and the chocolate factory. But we are on another informational, educational trip this morning. Not only that, but it's a unique kind of an event. Every time you or I or anyone else goes to the place of the skull, you don't have people without emotion. It is a terrifically sad place and it is also a terrifically happy place at the same time. And I want you to be thinking about that with me this morning. Why is Mount Calvary, the place of the skull, why does it make us both sad and glad? And if we're really thinking when we're on this trip, (laughs) there will be sadness and there will be gladness. Let's go back to Luke chapter 23, which will be our primary focus this day. And at the very beginning of that particular chapter, we begin to find out why there's a sadness. If you were to try to summarize the events at the place of the skull, Mount Calvary, there's probably one word that has been used in the last 2,000 years, repeatedly, repeatedly. It's the word injustice, injustice and outrage and disappointment and anger and hatred and all kinds of strong negative emotions surface. Let's go to Luke chapter 23, the opening verses of that chapter. When the whole assembly rose and led Jesus off to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, the one that had the authority to exact capital punishment by crucifixion, they began to accuse him, saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar, and he claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. The Lord Jesus has claimed continuously to be the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised savior. He claimed to be the eternal son of God, possessing and having and being the same essence as God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. And king, king of the Jews, King of the non-Jews, but a different kind of king totally. One of his more famous statements also to Pontius Pilate was, my kingdom is not of this world. A totally different kind of kingdom. And Pontius Pilate got that. He understood it. When he asked Jesus, are you a king? Jesus answered, you have said so. That's an idiom in that language that basically means, it is as you say. You betcha, I'm a king, but a different kind of king. And Pilate knew it. I find no basis for a charge against this man. But that that topic keeps coming up again. We, We jump to verse 13 of this same chapter. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, And said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Well, fast forward a little bit farther in that trial. A third time, chapter 23, verse 20. (coughs) Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. Clearly, injustice prevailed. Outrageous, horribly self-centered, evasion of responsibility, an abandonment of ethics, injustice. One of those criminals that was crucified with Jesus spoke great truth at verse 39 of this same chapter. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our sins deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So the more we listen, the more we look, the more we spend time at the place of the skull at Mount Calvary, there's a sadness. There's an anger. Injustice has prevailed. But there was something else going on at that exact moment. And that begins to turn our Sadness and anger into joy and amazement. Something that you could not see any more than you can see the Lord God working at a baptism. Something when Pontius Pilate was selfishly sinning, when Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest and the leaders, when the mob, murderous, bloodthirsty mob were sinning, all of that sin All of that guilt was being transferred to the one that had the crown of thorns on his head. All of their guilt, all of their accountability before God Almighty, who hates sin, was being transferred to Jesus. And that was the miracle of the skull. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the, 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 the novel, the, the short story written by Oscar Wilde. It, it's the picture of Dorian Gray. If you remember, it's a, it's, it's a little bit of a strange story but it is powerful. You had this great, good-looking person, Dorian Gray. But a, a, a portrait of him, a picture of him, a painting of him was, was made. And then going through life, Dorian Gray was a scoundrel. Dorian Gray was dishonest. He was immoral. He was absolutely self-centered. And every time he sinned, his appearance never changed. He remained good-looking. He remained youthful-looking. But the picture, the picture was being marred and disfigured every time he sinned. Every time he did some outlandish, horrible, corrupt act him, the picture took the brunt of it and turned into the most ugly portrait imaginable. That happened with Jesus, except that's reality, not a novel. That's not fiction. That is truth. That our sins, as well as that of Pontius Pilate, or the high Jewish council, or the murderous, bloodthirsty mob, were transferred to Jesus. Well, do you see how sadness and outrage turn into wonderment, and a smile begins to come. That's what was taking place. So why does Mount Calvary or the skull make us both sad and glad? Because God in his wisdom and power used human injustice to satisfy divine justice. That's where the sins of Pontius Pilate were being paid for at Calvary. He, Jesus, went to the gas chamber when the crimes were committed by others. Absolutely. So I'm sad and I'm happy at the same time. And that changes things. And we see evidence of that change, of course, very soon. We jump to verse 33 of this chapter. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals one on his right and the other on his left jesus said father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing the forgiveness of sins it can be an empty phrase that people use frivolously but the real forgiveness of sins from god has a most solid foundation it's the payment of those sins It's the satisfaction of justice that precedes it. And that is what we observe here. And it's done by Jesus, the person. You see, in all of this, it's not just ideology. It's not just abstract justice, injustice. No, no, it gets very personal. And our trip to the place of the skull is always personal because of our relationship to The person of Jesus Christ. And the person of Jesus Christ was taking a huge hit. We go to verse 35. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. It's really hard, it's really difficult to see how disrespected, how dishonored, how shamefully treated the person of Jesus Christ is. And he bore that brunt. So once again, strong emotion. But we also have the same kind of a transition here. Jesus is the ultimate victim but he also becomes the ultimate victor, the champion. He starts as the greatest loser. He ends up as the greatest victory in the history of mankind. We see it happening already at the time of the crucifixion. Here are some samples. Verse 41. We are punished justly, said that one criminal. We are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Verse 47, the centurion, the commander of those who were actually exacting the price, the crucifixion, seeing what had happened, praised God. And he said, surely this was a righteous man. And then verse 50, And now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one which no one had yet been laid. Do you see these early glimpses of the fact that the ultimate victim has become the victor? And then came Sunday. On the third day then came the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ who had said, I have power to lay down my life and I have power to take it up again. He who satisfied justice who removed the cause of death, sin, is now alive forevermore. I'm asking a couple of things of you this morning. Number one, that transition from sadness to gladness, don't make a shortcut. Don't go, I just want to be happy and forget all about the sin the guilt, the sadness, the outrage. You're cheating yourself if you do that. And the second thing is, understand that this is more than just history. You may look at the uh, Battle of uh, Gettysburg and say, eh, I don't care. Doesn't make any difference to me. But this battle, the place of the skull, that's very important because it has to do with our relationship to God Almighty. A few years ago, a woman, somewhat famously or infamously, was shopping in New York City. She went into a major department store, and she was looking at jewelry. And then she was focusing on a number of the gold crosses uh, with the chains, the gold chains. And then the woman, the salesperson, working at the counter, <laughs> opened up the display case and said to her, which, which one do you want? Which one do you want to see? The plain cross or the one with the little man on it? Do you see the danger? The one with the little man on it? It's very sad when Jesus becomes only a little man. In wall hangings, in paintings, without a face, without a name, with no significant relationship to my real life on a day-to-day basis. Always ask the question, what's the connection between this victim who had become a victor and me. I was ordained as a pastor 52 years ago. In the last 52 years, I have asked this question hundreds and hundreds of times because I always find it's incredibly important. What is the difference, or what is the connection? What is the connection between Jesus' crucifixion and your sins. And I'm just astounded, year after year, of the number of people that know the crucifixion. They know, then they admit that they're sinners, but they don't necessarily get the connection. They don't get that concept of the payment, the... Execution, the capital punishment exacted to satisfy divine justice, and the removal of responsibility for sins because Jesus has taken that responsibility. Romans chapter four, verse 25, has helped millions of people with this. And here it is in the Amplified Bible. Jesus was betrayed and crucified because of our sins, and was raised from the dead because of our justification, our acquittal, absolving us of all sin before God. If we get that, we get the connection, and it is a gift to be received. In 1833, a man by the name of George Wilson was found guilty of robbing the U.S. mail and putting the mail carrier in mortal danger. After the trial, awaiting his hanging, additional information came forward, and the authorities were not sure what to do. Ultimately, he was given, this George Wilson was given a pardon by President Andrew Jackson. And George Wilson refused it for reasons that only he knows. Well, it had to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. What do you do? And the U.S. Supreme Court issued this ruling. A pardon is a gift, and delivery of the gift is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person, and if it is rejected, we have discovered no power in this court to force it upon him. How sad, how tragic. God's pardon is reality. It is earned, it has the foundation. Justice has been satisfied. You and I do not have the ability to create faith in our hearts to accept and receive that gift. But God the Holy Spirit is the one who works that miracle. And he does it when you and I return to the place of the skull through the use of sacred scripture. As we use our Bibles and we go to the holy places and the holy events and we are taught by him through the Bible, that's when the heart is impacted and faith is created and maintained. Let's continue to make that trip to the place of the skull, to Mount Calvary, to Golgotha, and let us rake off like bandits as the Holy Spirit creates and maintains Saving faith within us. Let us pray. Lord God, bring us to Calvary, the place called the skull, often. Through our Bible reading, through our focus on the gospel of Jesus, wherever we are, give us daily sorrow over our sins and joy knowing that we are forgiven. Oh, Holy Spirit, keep us strong in faith, in hope, and love, and use us to introduce others to know and to trust Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.